everybody welcome to another episode of the mainline podcast this podcast along with all of our other main episodes are part of northern provisions llc check out the lethal minds journal a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs art and culture take a look at the journal's bulletin from the borderlands a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication from multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds.journal to see more. Please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash analyze educate, ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash analyze educate, or at substack, analyzeeducate.substack.com. All those links can be found in the show notes below. Today, I'm joined by Sinotalk again. He's our Indo-Pacific desk chief for Bulletin from the Borderlands, and we are going to be talking about the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum that was held uh, mid-November for about a week in San Francisco, as you probably saw. And China was a big player in that. So we're going to be talking about how this forum pertains to China. And then we're also going to be talking about some of the things that happen on the sidelines, particularly with U.S.-China relations. So with that being said, let's just head into it. All right, I'm here with Sinotalk. And today we're going to be talking about the APEC forum that they just had last week in San Francisco. How's it going, man? Doing good, dude. And you? I'm doing good. Doing good. So let's just jump into it. The APEC Forum is the Asia-Pacific Economic uh, Cooperation Forum. That's pretty self-explanatory. Obviously, it was formed in 1989 to help economic integration along, or sorry, among uh, Asia-Pacific countries. So it includes 21 economies. Now, interesting note, it says 21 economies, not 21 countries, because Taiwan is in that. It's known as Chinese Taipei in this form. And then Hong Kong is in that as well. They both have seats, and that's why it's 21 economies and not countries. Uh, I heard that uh, Xi is, is starting to get uh, fairly displeased with Chinese Taipei having its own seat. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, they, they've always had like, a disdain form being there, but you know, in recent times. How long do you think Hong Kong will have its own seat for? I think Hong Kong will still have its own seat indefinitely. I mean, it would have to take like a big. It would have to take some. It would take something big for them to for China to you know take it away or for you know APEC or for the APEC members to decide to you know terminate Hong Kong. Um, membership. Okay. Can they do that? Can they terminate a membership? Not that they would, but I'm just curious. I think they do. I think they can. Um, okay. It just depends upon what the uh, circumstances behind it. Okay. Now, remind me, this whole uh, one country, two systems deal with Hong Kong, that ends in 2047? And in 19... 2019 that kind of went all that kind of went away until they could decide what kind of government they wanted so is there was there a uh, potential possibility that they would not reintegrate with the rest of china at the end of that yeah that was one of the possibilities but you know china was like no they've always were kind of self-conscious of that of letting Macau, Hong Kong, and especially Taiwan go, even though they have separate identities. Okay. 
not to get on too much of a tangent here, but what's the deal with Macau? Because you you never hear about that. At least I don't. How um how uh on their own program are they? I guess I could say. Well, with Macau, it's kind of interesting because for all the issues that Hong Kong presented to China, Macau would kind of the opposite of that. You know, Macau is really famous for its casinos. And so China kind of kept them open so that Chinese tourists can go to them and spend money. And that money gets, um, and that money gets, you know, remitted back to, uh, back to Beijing, either through trade or through um, direct investment. Okay, got it. Yeah. Well, going back to the uh, the form here, these twenty one economies make up forty percent of the world's population, fifty percent of global trade. And they also receive uh, more than 60% of U.S. exports, interestingly enough. The theme for this one, I guess, uh, the the Leaders Summit, which is what uh, begins this whole thing every year, I guess, the host country comes up with a theme. And the theme for this year was uh, creating a sustainable future for all. Of course, the U.S. came up with that theme since we hosted it in San Francisco last week. Uh, interestingly enough, Russia is part of this forum as well. Putin was not there, obviously, because of the uh, International Criminal Court arrest warrant on him. Um, also, Hong Kong's chief executive, John Lee, was not there due to U.S. sanctions on him. What's what's going on with the sanctions on him? They're still going to be on him until, you know, either he reverses a lot of the, until either he reverses, you know, a lot of, the power plays or delegation or not delegation, not delegation until you know China relinquishes the amount of power they have over Hong Kong through you know through Li, and then also try to increase and then also increase you know personal freedom, freedom of speech, independent judiciary, things of like that. Yeah, all all that is long gone. Do you know what um sanctions specifically are on him? I used to. I I do remember. If I'm not mistaken, he it's it's mainly financial. Like he can't utilize certain banks, and then also he can't enter the United States because he's barred from entering. I believe. Now what? Let's get into what actually happened during the summit and on the sidelines. Obviously, China was uh, like the main player in this thing, right? I mean, pretty much every news story I found about this summit has has to do with China in some point, you know, whether it be the relations with the U.S. or, you know, the issues with Taiwan or um, economic policies with Mexico and stuff like that. Did any, Did anything actually happen at this summit in regards to China? Or is it, is it pretty much just these foreign dignitaries meeting with each other and having dinner. Kind of a <laughs> kind of a mixture of both, actually. China, I mean, she went in, you know, on a trauma offensive. He was trying to, you know, butter up American executives. Not only that, but to try to, you know, uh, meet with Biden 
an attempt to, you know, decrease uh, tension so that, you know, so that economic, so they can reinvest in the economy again. And so I think the really big thing with China was the fact that she did a lot of speeches for, you know, he, for, not say a lot of speeches, he did two. One was the, um, the dinner with the prominent American CEOs where he essentially said, we want good ties with the with China or with the uh, United States. We, there's no harm. We want increased investment or, excuse me, they want increased, um, they want good relations with the American business uh, community. They want this, China isn't looking to replace in the United States as the superpower, um, Taiwan is not going to be invaded, things of that. And this pretty much the stuff that the CEOs will want to hear because they're worried about increasing tensions with, uh, between China and uh, the United States and that scared them all and that kind of led them from investing into China. And then regarding the summit between Biden and Xi that happened, you kind of got the same, the same thing. He's uh, in the uh, in in the readout of what she of Xi's speech that he made in her statement. He said, you know, we we're not here to replace the United States. We want good relations, but you need to understand. But you know. You cannot stop the, the Chinese uh, economic progress, and so you need to, you know, take off the uh, export controls on micro on the microprocessors you you did you have. Not only that, but he also mentioned signing the Fentanyl deal, and then also um, discussing and also reopening. A military to military communication line, which something the United States wanted to do, which you know, actually Biden went in, uh, went in with high hopes that that would actually happen, which he got his two choice, he got his two, he got his wishes. So let me let me go back to investment because I know you've talked a lot before about how important foreign investment is to China and how that that's something that they really were going after. You know, I know we talked about it when uh, Blinken went over there um, and they, they did not want him to go over at all. Like you were saying, when we did that podcast, who they were looking for was Janet Yellen, right? The, the treasury secretary. And then when she came over, they treated her uh, pretty well compared to uh, the treatment Blinken got. Now, this summit is coming at a time where we just found out in Q3 of this year, foreign direct investment in China actually went negative for the first time since 1998, was, which was uh, when they actually started tracking this data. How much is of uh, an issue is this for China? It's very significant. It's a very significant issue. I mean, that's the reason why he went into the... Uh went into APAC the way that he did. He he pretty much he pretty much went into the um into the dinner saying, please invest in China. 
we're it's okay to invest. There's no harm or no harm will come to you. And she and you know, it that comes after Xi Jinping tried to do a lot of measures in domestically to try to fix the economy. And some did you kind of see some measure of success, others you kind of don't see it. So it's one of those things in which Xi Jinping knows that the economy is still ailing, but then not only that, but he also knows there's no end in sight unless he can get foreign investment back, in which there's no real way to do that without him undoing a lot of the stuff that he did that led, led, that led to foreign investment leaving China. And even then, there's a high, there's a really good chance that the days of free of freely investing in China are over. So I imagine when Xi is giving this speech to these American CEOs during uh, the APEX summit that this was probably at the forefront of his mind, right? I, I, I can't imagine it, it wouldn't be, you know, first time it's going negative uh, since 1998. Do you think that this speech he gave will or did reassure CEOs and, and maybe think make them think about bringing more FDI into China? It it kind of sounds like your answer will be no, just from what you said right now, but I'm I'm curious. <laughs> um, he, you know, he, he thinks that, you know, him saying that, oh, well, it's okay to um, reinvest in China. Like, he, there's, no, there's nothing to fear. You know, a lot of those same CEOs, you know, they've realized the extent of their risk exposure they have in China, not only their supply line, but the threat of personnel, and then also the threat of corporate espionage. And they've kind of look at each other, like, and they kind of look at themselves and ask themselves, is it worth investing into China? And so a lot of these, and a lot of the CEOs, is they're hedging their bets. They're either removing a large portion of their operation from China to other places, or they're, or they're, you know, reducing operations, but then off, but taking a wait and see approach. And some of those, and some of those um, uh, CEOs think that China will eventually come back around. It's kind of foolhardy, in my opinion. They they do think China will come back around. They do think that you know what we're seeing right now. At least some say that you know despite all despite the geopolitical tensions, we can still eventually invest into China. So let me let me ask this: Do they do they think China will eventually come back around, or do they think Xi will eventually come back around? And what I, I think, what I mean by that is, that, you know, obviously she's not going to be around to the end of time, right? Are they thinking maybe we just have to wait him out? Or are they thinking that he will eventually come back around? I think it's a mixture of both. That 
Xi Jinping will eventually either drop down the level of of what he's doing to the what he did to the the economy, economic control, or just you know die. Yeah, I mean the guy is seventy, right? So he's not he's not going to be there forever. No, he he's not. But the fear is that you know if they do wait, and you know the risk would increase, not only that, but you know, the, um, the tensions might go the other way. So those CEOs who are thinking this may actually find themselves in the water hurt. Got it. Okay. Now, if you had to uh, look into the future for Q4, do you think that FDI will continue to be negative? Or is it too hard to tell? I think we will see a slight increase in FDI. And FDI. Will that be enough to make it positive? No. We'll still see negative, but we may see a slightly lower number. Okay. Do you think? Do you think that uh, increase will have something to do with this APEC forum, or is it related to something else? I think it will be related to the APEC forum. That you know, some some CEOs will take what she said as okay, we can reinvest again, but we have to be smart about it and they'll invest, but also not invest as much as people want them to. Want them to. Another factor would be them trying to attract investment from other countries. But again, American and Western companies, well, most, well, most other, well, most Western companies, are trying to head to the best, while others are trying to increase, such as France. So France could actually, you know, so some France businesses could actually invest in China within Q4, just to where we see, do see that bond. What about investment from, say, not the U.S. and non- European countries, you know, looking at these economies that are part of APEC, uh, you have India, right, which maybe does not have the best relations with China right now. You have Australia, again, probably the same thing. Uh, South Korea, Canada, um, you have countries in Latin America, Peru, Chile. Um, obviously, you have Russia and Thailand, Vietnam, Colombia. Well, I think most of those countries like Japan, South Korea would hedge their bets as well. You do see some investment. We, uh, South Korea has some South Korean companies actually reinvest, uh, actually open up new factories there, but it's still like small factories. There's not really much risk exposure there. And it's also something that, you know, they've already done before in other areas of China. So there's not really, it's not too much risk. So. For the South Koreans, that was the least risk uh, exposure way to go. Regarding Japan, they will probably be just just as reluctant, if not more than the United States, to invest because one, they'll still have the, they'll be vulnerable to the same issues that the United States and other Western com uh, companies 
R2, but then also Japan will face increased scrutiny regarding spying and, and espionage because they've actually arrested or sentenced a Japanese man for spying for 20, 10 or 20 years. Uh, spying like, like, you know, conventional like intelligence spying or like corporate espionage? I just, just from reading what the little, the little bit I've, I've read about it, it just seems as if the guy knew people who within, you know, either the, the local government or party structures that could give them, that could supply him with information and which, you know, he utilized those to its full effect. And the party found out about it. The Communist Party found out about it, and they weren't too happy about that. And so they arrested them and said, you're, spy, you're a spy for knowing this information. Okay. Yeah, you know, and now that uh, now that we're talking about Japan, it, I just remembered that a big thing that uh, affected FDI in China was Mitsubishi actually announcing that they would completely stop all production of vehicles in China. Yeah, that was one of the things that they did, and I believe that was part of their strategy regarding refocusing on EVs, in which, of course, because in China, EVs are all the rage, but instead of Teslas and Rivians, there's Neos, um, Xiaomi's, um, IUDs, uh, Hongqi, thing, uh, companies such as that, so really, really as well. There's companies like that that are outproducing foreign, uh, from competitors at a low cost. And it's because the state supplements them and actually helped out creating a large part of their infrastructure and supply chain for that industry. Okay, interesting. Let's um let's move on to this uh, bilateral meeting between Biden and G. So this was on the sidelines of APEC, right? Technically wasn't really related to the summit. It's just, hey, they're both there, right? So why not meet? Uh, I think it's the second time they've met since Biden took office. I think the first time they met was at the last APEC summit in Bali, I think. Uh, Thailand. Oh, Thailand. No, no, okay. no. no um, actually, I'll take that back. Um, you were probably, you are correct. It was in Bali. Okay. Um. Yeah, so they discussed a decent amount of things from what it sounds like. Uh, you talked about military cooperation. You briefly mentioned that. So why why is it such a big deal? Military cooperation has been uh, suspended, I guess you could say, between us and China for, I, I'm not sure how long off the top of my head, but why was that suspended and why is it such a big deal? Well, the reason why it was suspended was due to the Chinese reaction to Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan in August of 2022. Actually, that uh, the reaction actually extended to anti-drug cooperation as well. And um, the reason why the United States is really, really want to reestablish those communications is because 
they it's because they want something they want some type of mechanism in place so that they can communicate at high levels if there were if there are incidents between not only between themselves between them and China but also between US allies such as the Philippines or Japan or Australia yeah you know we've uh, i mean since cooperation has been suspended we've seen multiple i mean more than multiple because that kind of implies not a lot but there have been many uh instances of less than ideal interactions between the PLA and whether it be our military uh Filipino military obviously um in Australia there was one that just happened with Australia a couple weeks ago at most do you want to talk about that because I think you were you did a write-up on that right or you were planning no, I mean, on it at least I'm planning on doing it um yeah so that actually happened not like I want to say five years at most five, five weeks uh five days ago so uh an Australian naval ship I want to say either a frigate or a destroyer um was in Japanese, uh, was in Japan's exclusive economic zone, uh, traveling to get to, um, uh, traveling to its enforcement area. It was, uh, it was conducting um, UN sanctions enforcement on North Korea. And so what had happened was a fishing net got caught up in the uh, propeller. And so they had to, you know, of course, send, dive, send some divers down there to, you know, cut it away and clear it to make sure the uh, propellers weren't damaged. And nearby was a Chinese destroyer, Chinese Navy destroyer. I think it was the Ningbu. Um, and the uh, Australian, uh, and the Australian sub said, and of course, you know, he, they informed them, they informed the, uh, the Chinese destroyer, hey, we're, we're going to put people in the water. Um, did you take, do you take, uh, can you please be cautious with any of your operations while you're nearby? You know, also, I think the Chinese actually acknowledged it. And then whenever they were in the water, cleaning out the propeller, the Chinese, the destroyers, uh, the sonar turned on. And for people who don't know, um, divers in the water, whenever that is active, can actually harm them. So sonar can actually hurt you, or in certain cases, if it's high enough, can kill you. Then, so of course, the divers uh, was immediately taken out of the water. The other one in exam where it was discovered they sustained minor injuries. And so that led to a back and forth between China and, and uh, Australia. Yeah, so actually I just pulled it up because um, I had it written down somewhere. According to the U.S. Navy, uh, decibels over 160 will cause some damage and 230 decibels can, can instantly kill you. If you're diving in the water. Yeah. So it's one of those things in which being around an active sonar array, 
any any circumstances while you're in the water can't harm you or kill you. Yeah, not uh, not good. No, and which you know it's kind of funny because the Chinese reaction was interesting. The the, the defense ministry said that we didn't. They weren't aware, but then the foreign ministry came out and said, you know, we, the PLA is a highly professional, disciplined naval force. Uh, so the Chinese military is strictly disciplined and always operates professionally in accordance with the international law and international common practices. Mao Ning, the, the really aggressive looking chick with the bob haircut. Um, <laughs> she really is, man. If you see her, she she has like what's her name? Malmine. I'll look that up. Okay. We hope relevant parties will stop making trouble in front of China's doorsteps and work with China to preserve the momentum of improving and growing China Australia ties. Yeah, she looks aggressive. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, getting back to uh military cooperation um yeah obviously that's kind of important right communication at least military communication for sure yeah so it's one of those things in which i i suspect that you know they they did say that hey we're going to do uh we we're going to restart the negotiation or the, we're going to start communications again I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, well, I know um, after it came out that China allegedly agreed to resume cooperation, it, it had been probably a couple of days after uh, General C.Q. Brown, who's the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs, um, said that he's called and he hasn't gotten an answer. That's it's been some time since then, so maybe maybe that's changed. I haven't been keeping up with it too much. You probably know more than me, but I haven't. To be honest with you, it's going to be one of those things in which the United States will publicize it, even if it's like a hello, or even it doesn't even have to be that. You know, it doesn't even have to be like that. But they will publicize it, and they will, um. And they will let it known that, hey, we are now talking. Now, will it be to their liking, to the United States' liking? More than likely not. I don't think they're going to get a chief, of, you know, the joint chief of staff and or the, or the sex staff and their ministry, whoever they pick for their, sec, uh, for their defense minister talking. I don't think that's going to occur. I think it's going to go at a lower level just so that China can actually test how far the United States is willing to negotiate. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I know the U.S. has been trying pretty hard to resume this military cooperation, right? We've been picking up the phone a lot. Um, we've also been trying to get their uh, Minister of Defense, whose name escapes me right now, to meet with uh, SecDef Lloyd Austin, right? And he was, he was not about it. Uh, it's like impossible to get those two to meet. I know uh, the New Zealand uh, defense minister as well kind of tried to mediate between the two parties and that was not happening. So China, they've uh, definitely been reluctant to resume this communication with us. Well, I mean, it's, this is something I always 
point out to people is the fact that it's not really, it's not really, you know, form, now former uh, defense minister Lee, Lee Sung-Fu's decision. It's not, it never has been. Yeah. It's always been she's a decision. So even though she said to redo the tie, will he actually let it go? Will he actually let it fully resume? I don't think so. Because there's not really incentive for him to do so without getting more promises or getting more compromises from the United States. And which he can and which he could probably get a lot more if he if they play their cards right from the United States. But going out and that's the reason why um neither the defense minister or the, neither Lee or the uh, or, or the second F Austin or second F Austin actually got to meet. It wasn't because, you know, of the sanctions imposed upon Lee for, you know, buying equipment from Russia. I mean that's that's not it. United States previously met with people who actually were sanctioned for worse stuff. We met with Biden met with Mahdi, in which he was sanctioned for the uh, program that he did in India back in the early 2000s. That was ordered in I forgot how many I forgot how many Muslim, thousands of Muslims that ever killed. But yeah, he he was able to meet with Mahdi. Uh, he was able to meet with uh, Biden. So. For a lot of these people, for so for a lot of people to think that oh well you know it's not because of, it was because of sanctions, no, no, it's not because of sanctions. It's because she wouldn't allow it. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. All right. Um, I mean, they talked about Taiwan too. I, I don't think there's really much to say about that. Uh, Biden reaffirmed the one China policy, which if you don't know, is the U.S. policy that Taiwan is not an independent nation. There is one China, the People's Republic of China. There is one governing body that oversees that. It's a current government in Beijing, which is the Chinese Communist Party. Um, that's pretty much it. I don't know if you want to add anything else to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of do because of some of the reactions. Yeah, go ahead. So during the uh, during the meeting, you know, we had Xi Jinping or allegedly react angrily whenever whenever he was whenever he said that whenever he was asked about a timeline or about you know a turn of a timeline, and he said, you know, was he was no? Did someone ask him about that? I want to say either he was asked that or he was or uh, or it was during the meeting itself. Wow. Because yeah, he, he was he was pretty livid at that he was even brought up. Was, I'm I'm very surprised it was. Yeah, so he's like like China doesn't have a he he essentially said to his to his interpreter saying and uh he said that we don't have a timeline. There's never been a timeline. He, you know, he he reacted pretty angrily. Now on the flip side of that, um 
now I'm so proud of it, kind of got this indication that she still doesn't trust Biden because of the fact that one of the, one of the reporters asked uh, Xi Jinping in Chinese, do you still trust, do you trust Biden? I want to say either now or I want to say she said either do you now trust Biden? And Xi Jinping just kind of looked and just didn't even, even respond or acknowledge the question. And does that trust Biden in terms of uh, the Taiwan issue or generally? I honestly want to say generally because you know, we've, it was a pretty open question, a pretty open-ended question, like, do you trust, do you trust Biden? And, you know, it wasn't directed towards one subject in particular. He just said, do you trust Biden? So I don't think it was about a certain subject. It was just, I think it showed that uh, Xi Jinping does not trust Biden. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised. Uh, we'll, we'll get into it later, but Biden had, Biden had something to say at a press conference after. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I, I want to finish off with that, though, because I think it's kind of funny and I want to talk about it. But um, yeah. before we get to that, uh, let's talk about fentanyl. <laughs> Right. Uh, fentanyl, uh, the the vast majority of the precursor chemicals that are needed to produce a drug are made in China. And then they're shipped over to, you know, whether it be the U.S. or Mexico. And then fentanyl itself is made here using those precursor chemicals. But this has been a major issue, especially for uh, the past couple of years, it seems. Um, we even had some Chinese nationals that were charged by the DOJ for, you know, the production of precursor chemicals, knowing that they would be used to make fentanyl by Mexican drug cartels. I think I wrote about that uh, for the bulletin when that happened. It's probably been a few months since then, but uh, obviously this is a, it's a big issue and it's becoming more and more discussed at the highest levels of government, in both parties, both countries. Regarding the, Fentanyl, the B agreement, it was kind of an it was it was an example of of how I say China will get comp will get compromises from the from the Biden administration so that it can actually so it can um, so it can complete the deal because. If you look at what was did in exchange for China's cooperation, the United States dropped sanctions on the Institute of Forensic Science, I believe that's the name of it, in which the reason why it was actually sanctioned by the United States was because of its connection to the ongoing Uyghur genocide. Now, China's criticism of this was that you want us to help you, but yet you 
did, but yet you sanctioned the one institute that actually processes or, you know, is able to help you. Like, really? And, and so, and for the, um, and for the United States to take, uh, remove sanctions cause a lot of uproar in the Uyghur diaspora community here in the United States, but then elsewhere, elsewhere, but then also a lot of the Republicans actually latched onto it and pointed out that this is what she wanted. You know, you gave what you gave she what he wanted. Okay. Now, yeah, so, but even then, like, if you wanted to look at the first agreement that that both China and the United States agreed to, you kind of see China not fulfilling all its promises. I'm shocked. Yeah, it, it was one of the things in which, you know, everyone was like high fiving each other and like, yeah, we, we're finally going to be, I don't know, I'm like, you. You, you wish like look who you just made a deal with guys so people who literally did not want to go after all the precursor chemicals because of their alleged use even then even then you can institute uh, various approaches to safeguard against the uh, safeguard against their use as precursor chemicals but China didn't want to do it Because they have a legitimate use, aka, aka, he, uh, aka, China could use this to, to use this as leverage. So what, what did this agreement actually entail? Well, to wanted to, um, it came to the agreement entails two things. The first one is to. Is for both countries to create a working group for the to discuss uh, anti-drug measures, specifically related to mental. The second one, and the, really what the United States wanted out of all this, was for the is for the Chinese government to actually go after specific companies, the specific Chinese companies that supply these that supply those precursor drugs to. Uh, to the cartels or drug traffickers, drug traffickers can produce fentanyl. We kind of seen some. We kind of, we kind of seen some movement, uh, in the right direction. Regarding China's willingness to, you know, enforce the laws that they have, because uh, the uh, Ministry of Public Security. Released a notice on Thursday, on the 16th, that highlighted 12 points or 12 laws that the companies will be liable for if they were aware that they were selling, transporting, or transferring precursor uh, chemicals or drugs to known individuals. For drug trafficking purposes, and the reason why I say I say it's a step in the right direction regarding regarding this, it's kind of goes back. It 
it goes back to the circular side of things. Because China has the law. And essentially just said, hey guys, we we know that you're just to remind you, here's these laws that you're breaking, you could be breaking if you sell these precursor chemicals that we know that you're doing to the to known associates of drug cartels. You could get fined or charged, wink wink. Let me uh let me ask you this. How involved do you think the government is in the fentanyl trade, the Chinese government? Maybe I shouldn't say trade, but uh, manufacture. Ma- manufacture precursor chemicals for the intent of selling them to drug cartels for the production of fentanyl. Are they directly involved? You can make a case for that because of the sheer amount of control that the Chinese government has over every, nearly all aspects of not only its making system, but its industrial supply chain, and then also its, its shipping system. So in theory, it could shut down all those, um, shut off every key point or every loophole overnight to those drug traffickers. However, they do not. Because this is where, you know, the indirect, they're indirectly involved is going to come, come out. That certain officials will be corrupt enough to allow this to go on. And Xi Jinping's uh, corruption drive will not go after them because of the fact that one, they're a part of his power base, or they're a part of someone's, a part, or a part of a power base that's one of his allies. And then two, he knows that leaving them open, letting them, allowing them to, you know, continue to process, sell those drugs, allows them to have, fulfill a secondary influencing purpose. Not only that, but even the banking system. China, to say that, do you, okay, so remember back in 2018 or 2000, 2019, a story came out that revealed that a Chinese national took over a large section, if not all, of money laundering for Mexican drug cartels. I do remember hearing something about that, yeah. Okay. He was able to do that through the Chinese banking system. A banking system that is so tightly regulated that it controls how much outflow of, it controls how much outflow of Chinese citizens can do, can send out per day. They can monitor it. Like we try to send out more than ten thousand, I think dollars equivalent, uh, equivalent in renminbi or kwai, you're gonna get flagged, and you're gonna get, uh, and you're gonna get uh, taken to a police police station or you know, or government building, uh, and be questioned. So, but the Chinese 
government allowed that to go on, or at least some officials within the Chinese government allowed it to go on. Now, going back to my earlier point about corruption, that could also, that obviously was a big thing about it. However, China would also look away if this, if they figured out this was still going, if this was going on. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's very conspiratorial. I will give you that. I, 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 will, I will admit. But yeah, it's a little thing. like tinfoil haddish, but I mean, I don't, I don't think you could discount it. No, and and it's kind of fit up their alley regarding you know more by the means. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I guess I guess we could finish it off with the this press conference that that Biden had after he met Xi. So, uh, a reporter asked him, "This is not the first time he's called Xi a dictator, right?" And that's that's what prompted this question from the reporter. And she said, "Hey, you know, in the past, you've used the word dictator to describe Xi Jinping. Well, you just had a meeting with them, right? We're led to believe that everything went, you know, pretty good." Um, would you still use the word dictator to describe Xi Jinping? He says, yes, I would. <laughs> uh, the video shows uh, Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State. The look on his face is like priceless because he's like, fuck. <laughs> there, go, there goes all my work. Like that's like three years of work down the drain. Um, Think not again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, how how significant um, do you think that is? And actually, you know, before I ask you that, let me clarify something. There's like people out there that are like, oh, uh, you know, what's wrong with that? Xi Jinping is a dictator. Like, what's wrong with you fucking Republicans? You just want to be pissed off at everything, whatever. Um, no, no. I mean, Xi Jinping is a dictator. That's pretty obvious, right? My issue with Biden calling him that is I don't know what he wants. Does he want to call Xi Jinping a dictator and stand up to him? Or does he want to be all buddy-buddy with him? Because you can't do both. That's what gets me with him just blatantly saying, yeah, Xi Jinping's a dictator. So what do you want? I think... What is your strategy with China? What is your what is your end goal? I really do think he didn't really mean anything by it. I mean, obviously, you know, he's a dictator. But I can point out, he's a dictator. He's yeah. a dictator. Now, but for him to call him out, for him to literally say that after the highest profile meeting. Yeah, no, like, no trying to skirt around it, you know, no trying to, like, beat the bush. It's just, like, a blatant, like, yes. Yeah, I would use that word. I think it shows Biden, I don't know what the right word is. I don't want to say lack of understanding. Yeah, I, I mean, lack, lack of understanding, lack of tact. I mean, there's, I, I, there's multiple ways you could describe it. Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's a lack of understanding. Because he understands, he, understood, he obviously understood the question. And, but does he care, I think? Or does he understand the, the power of that word, especially when you combine it with she? Yeah. I don't think he much cares. And I think that's more like, it's also a tact. Yeah. And I, I mean, the thing is, is this is coming right after he meets with the guy, right? This isn't, you know, it's, it's been 
uh, a year since he's met G and they've had no communications. Some reporter just decides to ask him if he's a dictator and he says yes. Like, no, this is right after he met him. And they talked about all these things that we've just discussed, right? And made all these all these groundbreaking deals. And then he goes out and calls him a dictator right after that. This is one of the things in which does it harm the overall relationship of whatsoever what whatever left of the relationship of China in the United States at this point, I should say? Not necessarily. I mean if yeah, you can people can say that China and the United States are now on good terms much to that. I think okay, that's not what it not that's not what I've seen, but yeah, okay. alleged. Yeah. And so will it hurt it? No. Will that will it cause Biden or will it cause Xi to lose uh lose to continue to mistrust Biden? course. And I think that's going to be the extent of this little incident will, will occur. Because honestly, I mean, anything outside of a shooting war of us, or, you know, or China actually ramming a Filipino, ramming and sinking a Filipino vessel, the United States and Chinese uh, relationship can't go any lower. I mean, yeah, it doesn't uh, hurt, but it doesn't help either. Yeah, I mean, it's will Blinken have to go kiss? Will Blinken have to, you know, do damage control? Of course, that's his job, essentially. Go do damage. That's like one of his little responsibilities. Damage control for foreign policy errors. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, man. Um, yeah, you got anything else you want to add? Yeah, I kind of want to talk about uh. Morris Chong, Morris Ching, uh, little visit to Apex or a, Apex too. <laughs> who's uh, who's that? The founder of the founder of a little known company called uh, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. Oh, he showed up to the summit. He's Taiwan's envoy. Really? Mm-hmm. He was there last year too. Okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he was there. Uh, he met with Biden and Blinken, but you know, Blinken, the Blinken meeting was more substantial one because he talked about you know Taiwan's worries and things of that relation. Um, with Biden, it just pretty much said hello. They may have said some jokes. But other than that, it's just between them two. But then also with that, he didn't meet with Xi Jinping. Okay. Yeah, if you're uh if you've been paying attention to Sino's work and uh, also a couple other pages, right? Cognitive Marine, um the journal publication itself, you probably know that TSMC is a, a very important company. Um certainly globally, but especially uh when looking at the Indo-Pacific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the reason why Morris, uh, why Taiwan sent him over there is because of the sheer amount of influence he has. He's no longer actively in the company. He's got how old he is. He has to be at least 80, if not, if not uh, 
if not in the upper 70s. But he still has a lot of influence within the region. And so that's the reason why he's always sent to not only to APEC, but also to other uh, regional groupings that or economic uh, organizational uh, meetings where Taiwan still is able to attend. This is one of, I want to say two or three, that Taiwan and China are actually a part of. Okay. Well, what was his uh, what was his deal at, at APEC? Was he able to get anything done other than a few sorry, meetings? Sorry. No, I mean, it was, it was just pretty much better just to uh, talk to other companies, uh, other heads of state to try to get investment. They want a TSSM obviously wants to invest in other countries. Um, one of them is actually the United States with their mega fa mega fob out in Arizona. Yeah, and, I was I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, it's they made one. It's I want to say it's the, it's going to be the biggest one out of the United outside of Taiwan. And that fob actually has been running into a lot of issues. In its construction, because of the coastal disconnect between Taiwanese and also the and the American and the American workers or the American uh, that are on the site. Is there any other countries they're looking at other than the U.S. If you know, I do know the Philippines is one that they've actually interacted with. Vietnam was one, but the talks weren't really that serious given the place that Vietnam sits between uh, with its relationship with China. Yeah, it's, it's arguably in uh, as, as much danger as it would be in Taiwan. It, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I agree. And that, um, you know, what would be the point then? Exactly. Um, I want to say Australia as well. Mexico, too. They want it. They've actually have talked about making some offices or factories there to make not a fab, not a fab, not a fab, um, but a um, some, but some factories that'll be able to produce some of the associated components. For those microchips. Okay, so, so that's interesting. So I, I'll say I don't know a whole hell of a lot about uh, sophisticated microchips, but that it makes me wonder um, because China and Mexico, their relations have been warming, you know, especially as AMLO has been president. But would there be any concern about Chinese? Uh, I don't espionage. even know how to put it. Yeah, I, I guess espionage, yeah. I would say that's always a danger wherever you go, no matter, you know, the relationship you have with the host country. It's always going to be there. Okay. Whether it be, you know, um, the corporate espionage or just economic cohesion to prevent the deals from going through things such as that. Um, but I think the big thing with that Taiwan would face with AMLO 
increasingly tilting up to China, the the fact is that the deal will even go through. Like, is it viable now? Because Amlo is not that stupid. I mean, he's more likely he's, he can't run for government. He can't run for office in the next election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, but his uh, his, I don't I don't know if I want to say his protege, but uh, uh, a leading figure in his party uh, is likely to win the election next year. That's Claudia Scheinbaum. She's the uh, current mayor of Mexico City. Yeah, I mean, may I mean, if that is the case, and I say that because it's again, it's like next. Year, I don't know when it's going to be next year. Um, if it's anything beyond January, uh, January, February, March, then I would be very careful about like about opinion polls because they can change rapidly. And I think that Am- one of the things with Amlo's party would just be the threat that China would be in regarding the potential for them to actually uh, nationalize the industry. Because Amlo's party actually have done that in the past. Yeah, he's he's kind of a wild card. Yeah. So I think that's going to be one of the biggest issues regarding not only Taiwan. Not only Taiwan um, possibilities in that country, but also China's as well. Yeah, good stuff, man. I think uh, I think that's all I got. I right, man. Yeah, dude. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, asking me to come on the podcast. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it's good to have you. Right, you're welcome, dude. All right. Well, uh, yeah, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we'll. Okay, everybody, I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, it means a lot to me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. We are also on Telegram at the same name. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon, Substack, or Ko-Fi. All those links can be found in the show notes below. Be sure to leave this episode a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. And that is all I have for you guys right now. I'll see you soon.